The following is a presentation by The Tabernacle, a community of changed lives. For more information regarding service times, or if you would like to make a donation to The Tabernacle, you can do so by visiting our website at www.thetabchurch.com. They can hear our clapping. It's cool. Uh, so glad you're here tonight. Uh, my name is Brian. I'm one of the pastors here, and, and I'm really excited you decided to join us uh, because we're kicking off a brand new series, and that's always exciting. We're, brick, we're kicking off a, a summer series, so we're going to be here for the rest of summer, and so you're not going to want to miss a single uh, week, I don't think, because this series is called Twisted, and uh, it's, I think, going to be a pretty cool series. Um, what it is basically doing is, is we're looking at some stuff that uh, has been taken out of context before. Uh, we're going to look at some scripture that's been taken out of context. We're going to look at some, some, uh, some things that we think are in the Bible that actually aren't even in the Bible. So that's going to be a lot of fun, and we're all going to get really hurt feelings, and uh, we're going to be okay with it because we're Buckley in this community and whatever, wherever you're from, you are now Buckley because you're here, and... Um, uh, that makes us stronger, right? Whenever we get our feelings hurt, it always just, it's like, oh, well, that makes me feel sad. But you're right. Okay, let's keep going. Uh, so what do we mean by context? Well, I don't know if you know this, but sometimes people take things out of context. We, we twist things uh, into a different way. Sometimes it happens in politics, but usually not. They're usually pretty straightforward and honest and, and, and don't twist anybody's words at all. So... Um, so that's good. But what I mean by context is, is just the other day I was, uh, I was ordering some food, um, at the, at Dairyland, at the ice cream place. Uh, and, and, um, it was lunchtime. And I go in there and the guy is talking on the phone. And he says on the phone, yeah, she's got a lot more energy now and she's not biting on her leg anymore. <laughs> what? Are you, what are you, are you talking about a human? I don't understand what's going on here. For me, that was out of context because obviously I couldn't hear the other side of the conversation. So it was like, okay, somebody's biting on their leg, but at least they have more energy. I mean, they're, they're over mono or whatever it is that they maybe had had. Uh, it was probably like a horse or a dog or something, but I don't know that. I can take that out of context and, and think whatever I want. Another thing that I've done taking something out of context uh, is something that happened to me. And this was a couple of years ago. This was before we had this building. And uh, if you remember, if you were here uh, before T2 was built, um, we were struggling a little bit to, to get this built. We, we couldn't get uh, the money we needed um, financing-wise. Like we, we couldn't get the loan big enough to what we needed to actually happen because it's Buckley. And there's not a building like this in Buckley. So there's a lot of financial words that I didn't understand. Um, and that's fine because I don't need to understand them. Uh, so anyway, we applied for a grant. Do you guys remember this? And, and we wound up getting that grant. It was like 
I don't know, $650,000, something like that, just a small little bit of change that, that we were gifted. And uh, the night that we found out about it um, was a night that will live in infamy for me because what happened, it was like 9.30 p.m., and I don't know if you know our lead pastor, John. He's what we call a night owl. I'm in bed wanting to go to sleep, and I get a phone call from John, which is kind of weird because he never calls. He always just texts or, um, yeah, he just texts, and then he throws his phone so we can't answer him back. And then, uh, so he calls me, and he says, hey, uh, he's like a really somber tone, and he's like, uh, I need you to come over to the house. Yeah, just, you, you got to come over. It's, it's 9.30 at night, mind you, and I'm like, uh, okay, did Tim fall off the wagon? Like, what? I don't know what, what's happened here. Something has gone on, and there's something that's pretty seriously wrong. And so I go over to John's house, and there's some other cars there, and I'm like, oh, great. This is, this is bad. Something bad has definitely happened. And I walk in the door, and, and you walk in the door, and then you enter into their kitchen area. And they're all standing in a circle in the kitchen area, and I can't figure this out. And uh, they, they all got their heads down. And, and John, everybody's like, yeah, uh, Brian, come here. And then he yelled something at me. And everybody started cheering. And I didn't understand what it was that he said. I had no idea the words that came out of his mouth. All I know is it was exciting, and I should be excited too. So I started cheering along with them, having no idea what we're celebrating, no idea what's going on. And and uh, and so we we all hang out and start chatting. And I wasn't the last one there. Thankfully, Tim had to show up too. And so John does the same thing with Tim. He calls Tim and says, hey, uh, yeah, we, we all got to be somber. So Tim, would you come over here? And I'm pretty sure he's thinking the same thing. Like either what did I do or who died or what happened within the church? What kind of terrible thing just happened? And so Tim shows up. They do the whole thing. And then I hear John yell, oh, before that, before I, before I get to that, I piece together, I'm, I'm wondering why at 9.30 p.m. where we have all these adults together, and I look up and, and there's a banner in the kitchen that says, happy birthday, Gabby. <laughs> so I'm assuming all of these adults are getting together to celebrate Gabby's birthday, who is in bed. Didn't make sense to me, but... That's the context that I had. I was like, oh, Gabby's birthday. We're celebrating her birthday. Happy birthday, nine-year-old Gabby. I guess. Sorry your friends couldn't make it. Maybe this is a consolation prize. <laughs> and so anyway, we get to Tim. Tim gets there. And then John does the same thing, except I'm not right in his face so I can understand him. And he says, we got the grant. Oh, that's why we're celebrating. Those were the words that came out of my mouth. And everyone looked at me. And they started laughing because they're like, of course, what did you think? I was like, well, it's Gabby's birthday. I don't know. (laughs) I took it way out of context. I was too self-conscious to ask a question of like, I'm sorry, I didn't understand your yelling, John. What is it that you told me? I didn't understand any of what he had said. I just assumed something and I took it. I put some pieces together. I was like, sure, that makes sense in my little brain. I guess that's what it's going to be doing. That's what we do with context. If we don't understand it, we try to make it make sense in our, brain, in our, in our brains. And that's a problem, <laughs> as you can see, because it was not for Gabby's birthday at all, in fact. Uh, in 2 Peter 3.16, 
This is kind of the guiding verse for, uh, for this twisted series. And it says this, Peter's writing, and he says, as he does this in all his letters, he's talking about Paul, uh, when he speaks in them of these matters. There are some things in them that are hard to understand, which the ignorant and unstable twist to their own destruction as they do the other scriptures. So that's going to be our guiding verse. What people do then and now is twist scripture so that we can understand it to our own understandings. We twist it to what we want to hear sometimes. Sometimes it's, it's what I want to hear versus what it actually says. And we can do this pretty easily. And the scripture we're going to go through tonight is one of those scriptures that we've kind of done that with, obviously, because otherwise we wouldn't be talking about it. Uh, but that's why context is so important. And context in scripture, we have a fight club saying that says, what's it say? What's it mean? What's it mean to me? What's it say? What's it mean? What's it mean to me? We, we, we go through those three questions. What's it say? Okay, so what does the verse say? And then what does it mean? Let's look around all the other scriptures. There's references that we can look at to see cross-referencing uh, the little parts in the Bible. If you have a physical Bible, there's usually some, some, um, some spots where you can see uh, where you can look up some other verses, that kind of stuff. So what's it mean? And then what's it mean to me? Okay, so I've figured out the context. I've figured out it's, it's important sometimes to know the historical setting of what's going on. You want to know exactly um, what was happening in society at that time, what this church was going through, all of that kind of stuff. So whatever it is uh, that, that you're reading, you're going to want to be able to just piece together this, this basically like a 3D model. When we look at it, um, and, and just one verse, we kind of get a 2D model of it. But we want to get a full three-dimensional model. And so it's, what's it say, what's it mean, and what's it mean to me? You can write that down if you want to. It's okay. So that's context, and that's what we're going to be looking at. And uh, the scripture tonight is Jeremiah twenty-nine eleven. Ooh. Don't get sad. Okay. A lot of us have misinterpreted that scripture. A lot of us have, have taken that scripture and twisted it. When we read Jeremiah twenty nine eleven, let's do that right now. It says, some of you have probably memorized it, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. Sounds pretty good, right? I want a future. Anybody else want a future? Anybody else want hope? Welfare. Well, I'll take some welfare, right? Big time, I'll take some welfare, whatever I can get. However much welfare I can get, I am all for that. And we twist it to, to, to mean this, that whatever it is, uh, that welfare. In the NIV, it actually says prosper, plans for you to prosper. And, and, and we really gravitate to that word, don't we? Because it's like, okay, I'm going to prosper. I'm going to get a boat. I'm going to get this. I'm going to get that. Everyone, you get a blessing. Oprah Winfrey, you get a blessing. And you get a blessing. And you get a blessing. Everybody. And, and, and then I'm going to get a private jet. You read the news? <laughs> That's what the preacher says. I'm going to get a private jet because God wants me to prosper. God wants welfare for me. So it's easy to slip into this prosperity gospel that says this is exactly 
what's going to happen to you? You're going to get all the things that you want, everything you've ever dreamed of. God has a plan for you, and he's going to give it all to you, whatever you want. Name it, claim it. It's yours, right? Well, here's what we're going to do. We're going to destroy that tonight. Then we're going to rebuild it, and then we're going to apply it to our lives. Cool? And hopefully you like it a little bit more. It's going to be a little bit different of a meaning, but hopefully you like it more. So destroying it. Let's talk about the backstory here of what's going on. If you read more of Jeremiah 29, if you read before that, a couple of chapters before and and all through, what's going on in this time is Israel is being exiled. That means they're leaving. They're being forced to leave. Nebuchadnezzar, King Nebuchadnezzar, has taken over. He's the king of Babylon. And Babylon just sounds bad, right? It's like, oh, I don't want to go to Babylon. In my head. He's taken over, and, and God has allowed him to take over. What Israel was doing in this time was listening to false teachers. And, and what's happening is, uh, is, is Nebuchadnezzar is taking over. God has moved them into exile. And there's some people, there's some false prophets in this time who are saying, no, 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 don't worry. It's just going to be for a couple of years don't worry. It's just going to be for a short amount of time. You don't have to go anywhere. Let's just, let's just stay here. And God is like, nope, you're leaving. And if you're not leaving, you're gone. Dead. Is basically what he's saying. He said, if you don't go, if you don't leave exile to Babylon, you will die. There's going to be a famine. I'm going to wipe you out. So either you go or you die. And some of the false prophets, again, were like, nah, 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 it's fine. Don't worry about it. It's all good. All good. And God's like, I'm not kidding. This is what's going to happen. And so some of them leave, and God tells them, you better get comfortable. You're going to be here a while. You're going to be in exile for a while. In fact, you're going to be there for 70 years. God tells the, tells, tells the Israelites, you might as well get married. You might as well have kids. You might as well... Let your kids get married and them have kids. Yeah, you're going to be a grandpa before you ever leave here. Or a grandma. You better build your house. You better grow some vegetables. And you better pray for the leaders because that land you're in, if they prosper, then you'll be okay too. If there's welfare there, then you'll get welfare. So pray for your leaders. You're going to be here a while. So that's the context of what's happening before Jeremiah 29, 11. They're not in a great spot. Nebuchadnezzar, I don't know if you remember this, not a super great guy. You can read about that later on. And, and Daniel, he's, he's king for a little while. So let's pick this back up in Jeremiah 29, verse 10. All right? It says, for thus says the Lord, when 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will visit you and I will fulfill to you my promise and bring you back to this place. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare, not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me and I will hear you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. So now we have context. We're going to we're going to figure out what this actually means in our lives. It doesn't sound like it really fits on a graduation card. 
anymore. Unless they are going to college, that's kind of exile, and you're going to have to pay all this money and do all this stuff, and, and so maybe it does fit, right? But we take this and we're like, oh, yeah, this, this is a nice verse. Let's put it on a, on, a, on, a, on a graduation card. Let's put it here and there. But here's, we've got the backstory. Now let's figure out how to apply this to our lives. We know what's going on in Israel, uh, or with Israel. We know what's going on. They've left Jerusalem. They're in Babylon now. They're in captivity. And God tells them to... Uh, to get comfortable, basically. So what can we learn from this? Number one, God has a plan. God has a plan. That's comforting, right? The question is, do we believe in that plan? Do we believe that God has a plan for us? This, is, this part of the message is basically like God-sized faith too. It's blockbuster season, so it's God-sized faith too. the sequel. All right, we're going to go a little bit more in depth with, with faith. God has a plan. God has a plan for us. He set it in motion a long time ago. There's things that, that happened with Israel that we can look back on our own lives. Israel went away from God a whole lot, and then they always came back. They went away, and then they came back. This is one of those times where they're going away. And in our lives, I think we can do the same thing, where sometimes we're like, okay, I'm really close to God, and then, hey, that looks interesting over there. I'm going to go over here. Okay, never mind. Back to God. Oh, wait, that looks interesting again. We do the same thing that Israel does. We don't always trust God's plan. But God has a plan. He set it in motion a long time ago. Uh, he, he, he sent his son Jesus to die on a cross for us, to live a perfect life, die on a cross, raise again from the dead. We believe that as Christians. It's one of the things, the thing that we hold on to. That's part of God's plan for us. So God has a plan collectively for people. God has a plan individually for each person here which is nice i think so we know that god has a plan that's our foundation we know that god has a plan now what so so far jeremiah 29 11 we're good he says for i know the plans i have for you pretty easy to figure out god's got a plan okay we can go on so god has a plan so thrive in the tension. Israel had to thrive in the tension. They're in exile. They're far away from their home. Things are not comfortable for them. Life isn't turning out the way that they thought it was. In fact, some of them are never going to escape exile because they're going to be there for 70 years. In fact, a lot of them are not going to escape exile. Most of them, I would say, would not escape exile. That's not a very comforting thought to think, I'm never going back to my home. But yet we see them thrive, if you read on, into Daniel and, and, and keep going. They thrive in that tension. Now what do we mean by tension and what does that mean for us? I don't know if you can tell this or not by, by the way that I am. Uh, working out. I feel like I know a bit about that. You agree? Sweet. Perfect. All right. I wore a shirt to make it look like I, I work out. But when we work out, uh, some of us know this, what happens is, is uh, when, when you lift weights, when you run, when you do all this stuff, your muscles are breaking. They're tearing apart. They're, they're, they're being stretched. There's tension put on your muscle. 
And then what happens is the next day you're a little bit sore, and then the day after that you're even more sore. What's happening is, is that's getting rebuilt. Those muscles are getting rebuilt and making you stronger. So in faith, isn't it cool how God has wired every part of our lives? He can even look at, at how our muscles are formed and how our muscles grow, and we can relate it to faith. That tells me we have a creator. So what happens is, it, is, is, is in those tension, those moments of tension, our muscles grow. In those moments of tension in our lives, our faith grows, which is pretty cool but it's hard. But thrive in that tension. Know that God has a plan. Know that God has a plan and thrive in the tension. That's what God wants because if we look at James uh, 1, 2 through 4, this is a great example. Let's go there. It says, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete Lacking in nothing. A lot of times we pray, and our prayer is for uh, getting us out of that tension, to get us out of that trial, to get us out of this. God, I don't want to be here. Can you please take me out of this situation or that situation? And what we should be praying instead is, God, give me wisdom. What are you trying to teach me in this moment? What, am I, what are you trying to teach me in this tension? That's when we thrive in the tension. We're not just sitting in it. We're not just wallowing in that tension. There's a lot of bad stuff that's going to happen to us. Whether it's self-inflicted or the world brings it on us or, or, or whatever it is, we're going to have a lot of things going on in our lives. And sometimes it's not going to be easy. But it's what we do in those moments that's either going to grow our faith or we're going to walk away. God would want us to thrive in the tension. Know that he has a plan. That's faith. And thrive in that tension. Count it as pure joy when you face trials. Sounds pretty difficult. But with God, it's possible. With God, it's possible when we lean on Him. So the next thing we have to do, God has a plan, so thrive in the tension. God has a plan, this is what Israel does, get to work. An active faith is what's necessary. Get to work. Yeah, life is bad sometimes. Stuff's going to happen to us. And guys, I don't want to downplay that whatsoever. There's some seriously bad stuff that's happened to people. There's some seriously bad stuff that's happened in my life. And sometimes I don't always respond accurately. Sometimes I freeze up. We get scared and we just stay. But we have to get to work. Work is something uh, that God has ordained. We've talked about this before. That, that work is, is not a, a byproduct of sin. Now the toils of work is a byproduct of sin. But the work itself is biblical. We need to get to work. There's a lot to do. Thrive in that tension and get to work. God has a plan. God has a plan, so let's get to work. Let's build houses. Let's, let's farm. Let's marry and let's have kids and do all that kind of stuff. Let's get to work. See, in the Garden of Eden, uh, back in the beginning of, of the Bible, there was work there. 
I was talking to uh, Pastor Tim this week, and, and, and he has, has this idea, and I have the same idea of, of when we think about the Garden of Eden, what do we think about? We think about like a day kind of like this, or maybe a little bit cooler, like 78 would be perfect, right? Like 78, that's, that's, you can go swimming, it's perfect, and we have this idea that we're on a beach, and it's a Corona commercial, Right? It's just this commercial where you're just lounging on the beach chair and there's a person off to the side that you don't mind and, and there's, and there's, you, you get this, this pans over and there's this nice cool beverage that's, has condensation dripping down it because it's so cold. That had to be Eden. Right? I mean, come on, that's the Garden of Eden. No! There was work involved. Adam had to name all the animals. There was, there was work to be done in the garden. It didn't just grow itself. But there was work to be done. So why would we assume that we're any different? There's work to be done. No matter how old you are, the work can look different, but there's work yet to be done. If there's a person anywhere in this world who doesn't know Jesus, guess what? There's still work to do. There's people in this town, as big as this church is, there's people in this town who don't know who Jesus is. So is our work done? No. Correct. Yeah, we might have some things happening to us, and that's pretty sad, but we can't let that handicap us. We can't let that stop us. We have to thrive in that, ask God, what are you teaching me in this moment, and get to work. Don't let it stop us. So God has a plan, thrive in the tension. God has a plan, get to work. God has a plan, so seek Him. Seek Him. Who has the plan? Do I have the plan? I don't have, I have plans, but they're not very good ones. And they often fail because I don't plan things out very well. I don't have the plan. You don't have the plan. Nobody on earth has the plan. Who's got the plan? God, thank you. God has the plan. So wouldn't it make sense for us to seek Him? The one who has the plan for our lives? The one who holds everything, who holds our hope, who holds our future, who holds all of the plans that we could ever possibly dream of, who holds our life. Wouldn't it make sense to seek Him and Him alone? See, we talked last week about our focus being amplified when we have God-sized faith. This is the exact same thing. Seek Him. Don't seek whatever money it is that you can grab. Don't seek whatever job it is you can grab. Don't even seek your family. Seek Him. And all these things will be added unto you. In verse... 12 and 13 of this passage. I wish we wouldn't stop at verse 11 all the time. If we're going to write it on our wall, we should write verse 12 and 13 too. Just get a bigger wall or write smaller. Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me and I will hear you. That's not getting taken out of context. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. So with all of your heart, with everything that you are, with everything that I am, I need to be seeking Him. 
not the corona lifestyle. And what's cool is when we seek him, when we're thriving in that tension, when, when, we, when we understand all these things, when we get to work, somehow there's peace. Do you know in Jeremiah 29, 11, that word welfare can also be meaning peace? It means peace. Plans for welfare, for peace. When we do those things, when we thrive in the tension, when we ask God for wisdom, when we ask him what's going on in my life, when, we, when, we're, when we're working hard, this sounds contradictory, and when we're seeking him, that's when you find peace that you're looking for. That's when I find the peace I'm looking for. And in that passage, passage in James, it says, then you will be complete. That little empty spot in your life. It's not filled up by anything but him. So God has a plan. There's a, a friend of mine, he, um, he's one of the worship leaders in Manistee. And so I've gotten to know him a little bit. His name is David Hoflinger and his wife is Lindsay. And they're expecting another baby. I think that's like 12 for them. Um, I'm pretty sure. And uh, David was sharing the story with me this, this last week that in, in 2014, he had a great job. He had a, a job that was steady pay, really great benefits, the whole nine yards. They were living somewhere. They had bought a house and, uh, and, and life was going pretty good for them. And him and Lindsay got the call to go into ministry, to go into vocational ministry, to say, leave everything and go into vocational ministry. And not just vocational ministry, we want to, we, we, God, God says, I want you to help plant a church, which if you know anything about planting a church, there's not a whole lot of income involved in planting a church if you're going to be starting out, especially from scratch. There's nothing there. And so, uh, they thought about it for a while. They prayed about it, made sure that that's exactly what God was telling them, and they went after it. So in, in, in the fall of 2014, they decided that they were going to uh, go into to, to vocational ministry, and they were waiting for the right opportunity. Um, by the time March rolled around in 2015, so about six months later, if I do math correctly, about six months later, uh, they, they started with a church. They moved their family, and, and they started church. It was in southern Michigan that they were going to plant this church. And there wasn't any money. There wasn't anything around for them. So they're planting this church. Everything's going pretty okay as far as that can go. There's, there's not a whole lot of money coming in, but they did uh, photography, and they do videography. And so they were able to supplement their income a little bit. And then David tells me this part of the story, and he starts crying as he's telling it to me on Thursday. He says, I walked into a church and there are these pictures of children from Ethiopia. And these were children who were orphans. And David, with tears in his eyes, he says, God told me, he looked at one of the pictures and God said, that's your son. That's your son. 
And this didn't make sense to David at all. That, what, that's my son? God, you understand, I just went into ministry. I just left this job. I don't have a whole lot of savings. To adopt a child from a, from a third world country, it's, it costs about $35,000. So this was not just like a little, hey, I guess I'll adopt a kid today and go to the Humane Society and pick up a child and then come home. That's not like, here's your $200 fee if I need to, and then you have a child. That's not the way it works. There's a really, really long and difficult process involved in this. So six months after they, they uh, get the call, a month after they're in ministry, they they. Get the call from God to say, you need to adopt a child. Don't you think that's living intention? But David and Lindsay both knew that God had a plan for their lives. And they knew it wasn't necessarily to prosper. They knew that their hope was in a future hope in Jesus Christ. And it's not in this world necessarily. And so they went after it. They were thriving in the tension. They got to work. They started the application process. They poured a ton of their money into it. All of their savings. They were wiped out. And then they had to wait for a phone call so that they could meet with the Ethiopian government so that they could bring this child home. They waited and they waited and they waited and they waited and they waited. Finally, they get a call much later, like a a year later, they get a call from the Ethiopian government and says, you have a court date in Two days. You need to get here. I don't know if you know this, but flights aren't cheap to Ethiopia. They had to raise $5,000 to buy tickets to get to Ethiopia in two days. Otherwise, the adoption is over. Guys, that day, this is faith. This is faith. Okay, this is what happens when you throw all of your eggs into... To, to God's basket and say, okay, this is where I'm going to go. This is exactly, I'm going to thrive in the tension. I'm going to get to work and I'm going to seek him. That day, one of the weddings that they were doing, they were doing videography and photography for it. A check came in for just a little bit more than $5,000. Is that not exciting? <laughs> a check came in that day that they got the phone call for $5,000. They booked their flight and they went to Ethiopia and they sat in a courthouse for eight hours and a judge did not see them. Twist in the story. Do you think that's tension? That's a little bit of tension, right? You flew 27 hours to not meet with a judge, but they didn't give up. They kept working. That day, they, they sat in the courtroom and waited and waited and waited. And then finally, everything closed down and they're knocking on the door. And finally, the judge opens and, and, and they say, will you please hear our case? We have to go back on a plane in just a couple of hours. We need to meet. The judge said, okay. So they meet. The judge meets them. They go through this whole process. I don't know what they talked about. And They left. Without a child. Because there was more stuff that had to go on. More processes that had to go. 27 hours back home. Do you think there's tension in those 27 hours? Are we going to get this child? We've, we've just paid $35,000. Finally. October 2016. They bring their son 
And if you think the tension is over, <laughs> you're mistaken. I was talking to David about he's a, he's a, he's a volunteer. He, he leads worship every single weekend. He's playing drums tomorrow because we needed somebody to play drums. He's someone who just shows up and does the work. He doesn't ask what needs to be done. He doesn't ask uh, what he can do um, that's going to benefit him. He just comes in and does the work. All week long, he's at the church. 77 Hancock Street in Manistee. All week long, he's there just serving. Why? Because he's seeking him. And he's focused on him. He knows that God has a plan. He knows that God has a plan for the tabernacle in Manistee. So they bring him home. His name's Ransom. Hopefully you get to meet him someday. But it doesn't stop there. Because now they have this Ethiopian child that they have to acclimate to American culture. He's got to learn the language. He's got to learn what McDonald's is. He's got to learn all this kind of stuff. So they're still thriving intention all they do is their photography business and their videography business but you know what he said to me he said i could have held on to that job that i had in the beginning i could have done all of those things i could have kept the house i could have kept the family all tight-knit and i could have kept getting a paycheck and those are all good things he said sometimes we hold on to the good things but we miss out on the great things we miss out on the great thing. He wouldn't have another child if he had just played it safe, if he didn't thrive in the tension, if he didn't get to work, if he didn't seek him, if he didn't believe that God had a plan. This child would never have been where he is now. They saved a life because of this, because of the risk. And he said, you know what's the best part? The adventure. That's the best part. I've been all around the world. I've done all... This is him talking, not me. He's been all around the world and seen all of this stuff, him and his wife together. It's a beautiful story, isn't it? But there's tension there. It's not an easy life. But they wouldn't trade it for a single thing now. C.S. Lewis said, he's a pretty smart guy, I didn't go to religion to make me happy. I always knew a bottle of port would do that. If you want a religion to make you feel really comfortable, I certainly don't recommend Christianity. I certainly don't recommend Christianity. If you want a life that is comfortable and easy and there's no issues, there's no stress, there's nothing, you shouldn't be here. People come here expecting everything to be unicorns and rainbows, and that's just not the case. But it is so worth it. Our future hope, when we're reunited with the God who loves us more than anything, who suffered and died on a cross for us. And I can't, convince anyone in this room to, to, to quit your job and do whatever. I'm not necessarily telling you to do that, but maybe God is. What's God saying to you? Would you close your eyes? Jeremiah 29, 11 takes on a whole different meaning when we see what Israel went through. And for us, 
What does that mean for you and your life? What does it mean to thrive in the tension? What issue do you have going on right now? That's causing you some pain, some tension. What things are going on? God has a plan for you. And it might not be to take you out of whatever it is you're going through. So in this quiet moment, I'd like you just to ask for wisdom. If you're a believer in this room today and life isn't making sense to you, if you've got something going on, if there's some issue, whether it's at home, whether it's a sin issue, whether, whether it's, it's, it's something else, Ask God right now not to take you out of it but for wisdom. Now I just want you to ask God what it is he wants you to do. You need to get to work. Then lastly, what I want you just to ask, and this is for everyone in this room, whether you're a Christian or you're not a Christian, just try this out. Ask for a heart that would be seeking Him that wouldn't get distracted. If you're not a Christian in this room, you're at least curious. Father, I pray that we would seek you. I pray that we would work. God, I pray that we would thrive in the tension. God, we wouldn't just live in it. We wouldn't just... just kind of let it happen to us but God we would thrive in whatever tension it is in our lives right now God I pray that we would trust that you have a plan that our God sized faith in the person of you would trust in the plan trust the process and that we would thrive in that tension because we know that you are a good father God, you have plans for us for peace if we would only trust you. It's in your precious name. Amen.